This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Well, welcome back to Bringing Order to Chaos. Tonight we are on Lesson 5, and we're going to open up to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. So, really, the... um, this lesson tonight is adapted from a sermon uh, that I developed a little over a year ago. And it was from that sermon that all of this started to come. And so tonight we're kind of at the, uh, that middle point. We're at the, the high point, the crux of, you know, this is where I really hope that we start to pick up traction and, uh, and, and understand where we're putting things together. And so tonight we will be talking about the perfect man and our failure to live up. Now I'm sure there's a lot of ladies in here that would probably say amen to that, but uh, <laughs> but um, we're going to be talking about ourselves, all of us, but let's read Psalm 8 together. Last week we started on this side, so this week we'll start on this side, and we're going to read all of Psalm 8. So if you're uncomfortable with reading, just say pass. But when it comes to you, we're just reading one verse. So, Mr. McCoy, if we can start with you and work our way back. <laughs> o Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the And then Brother Andreessen will come up here to you. The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. All right, thank you. So tonight we're going to dig right in. I know it's kind of a shorter sheet for you, but I think we have a lot to talk about. Uh, And so... Let's, let's first, let's review a little bit, right? Go all the way back. I like to review anytime we're in a series because a lot happens from week to week and, uh, and it can be hard to keep on track of where we're at. Uh, and so remember in the very beginning, we set the stage. Uh, we talked about how there is, and we continued that tonight in our prayer request time. There's chaos all over the place. Sometimes that is people caused, right? Sometimes that is sin caused. There's confusion, there's uh, blatant disobedience to the Word of God, there's chaos that abounds everywhere, but Christ broke into this world, he came uh, as a baby, and we think of that as a really nice, peaceful, tranquil night, when in reality, uh, a war began. Christ broke through the ranks, he came in, and he declared, I'm not going to let this continue on. 
And so when he came of age, he starts proclaiming his ministry. He is proclaiming the kingdom. And so we realize we are now kingdom people. The message was the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at the tip of your hand. It's near. How do you get into it? You repent and you believe. And so we've entered into this. And then he said, look, the kingdom really is here. If I'm casting out demons by Beelzebub, that's impossible. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom is already upon you. And so we know he came bringing kingdom life. And so we are now able to enter into the kingdom that already is and is not quite yet. We're waiting for that culmination, that ultimate fulfillment of when he comes back. But now what we have, we are a people of the kingdom, but nowadays so many people, we have two mindsets, right? Many, and I was, I'm not picking on them, and it was nobody here, I was elsewhere. Uh, I was just talking to somebody the other night, and they had that hunker down mentality, man. Oh, it's getting bad. Eggs are expensive, and we know that, uh, you know, that a price of the loaf of bread will be uh, more than a day's wage. You know, and there's that hunker down mentality of hurry up and save a bunch of people and just really hang on tight. Or, we can have the mentality of victory, which is a biblical mentality. Yes, things are pretty bad, but our God is bigger. He's the king. He's in control. And we're not worried about what might happen or what will happen at some point. We're worried about now and bringing the kingdom because it will prevail regardless. And so we need to have that biblical victory mentality. But how do we get there? Enter lesson two. Remember that God created order. Unlike all of the other creation stories that exist where there was something and then there was chaos and then there was something that rose up out of the chaos and they strove together until finally the good guy won and then he kind of became bad and the whole world went to pot because they only cared about making human slaves. Those are all the other creation stories. But our God came from outside of anything. There was nothing and yet he made all. And he had no strife with chaos. He had no difficulty calming the tohu vavohu, the, the watery, boiling deep that was first there, but rather he spoke and things obeyed. Elements came into being. Light began to shine. Earth began to rise up out of the water. Plants began to, to immediately grow and use photosynthesis. None of that was a strife or a, uh, a, a battle for God. And so there was never a competition between God and chaos. And because he created it, we can follow those principles of order, right? Remember, we went through all the principles of order. Anytime we see order, it doesn't matter what we want. We, you know, what we say is ordered, right? Blue socks here and red socks there. But it matters how God orders things. And we learned that from uh, lesson two. And then we realized that not only did he create it, but because he created it, it was good. He mandated it. He said, all right, I love order. I have created order, but I've allowed just enough chaos outside of the garden for you to now live in my image and go out and subdue. And so he created, or excuse me, he mandated order. He gave us uh, this mission in life. And this mission involves both spiritual and physical realities. So remember, the key part of that was that we don't, we don't divide. We're a kingdom people, right? Jesus walked around this earth physically 
and yet doing spiritual things not separately than his physical self, but rather he saw a physical ailment and saw the spiritual behind it. And that is what we ought to be doing now. We are a kingdom people. And when this mandate of order is here, it's not, well, we're ordered in our spiritual life and we read our Bible and then we come over here and we have to... Nope, everything is together. And we are to bring order to our spiritual lives and our physical lives because that is uh, really in unity. And then finally last week we saw how chaos entered into the world. Chaos follows its own principles, right? They're a little more sporadic. And yet God is able and He has already reversed the chaos, right? I, I, again, I go back, I know I use Lewis all the time, but I think about uh, in, the, in, in the second book, right? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Wardrobe, when Aslan is slain and they read the deep magic and it says that the stone table will crack and time will be reversed and Aslan comes back, right? Christ died on the cross, sin was broken, now we have a writhing serpent, a dangerous enemy, but defeated nevertheless. And we know that Christ is bringing order, even though he used chaos, he allowed chaos to happen to him in order to defeat chaos. And so tonight we're going to get to the middle lesson, the high point, and here's the lesson objective, right? I want us, I want to help the student to understand that God's glory is seen through order, right? We already know that. And though man has failed, we have been redeemed to fulfill what Christ has started. This is really, uh, I find this exciting, and I hope that you, you find it exciting as well. And so really, here's, here's the key takeaway, right? This is the wordy, this is the big one, right? This is the lesson objective. Here's the key takeaway, right? We failed, Christ didn't, now we can't fail anymore if we're in Him. And doesn't mean we can't sin, that's not what I'm saying, we'll get to this in a little bit. But we failed, Christ didn't, and now in Him we have victory. And I'm excited to talk about that. So, let's go ahead and dig in Psalm 8. The first thing that we notice about it then is the wonder of God's name. The wonder of God's name. We see this, right? In verses 1 and 9. So, teaching, right? I have to remember, we're in teaching mode right now. So, go over. In verse 1, alright? Let's all read verse 1 together. Ready? Let's begin. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Now, verse 9, all together. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Alright, what we have here in technical terms, right? This is good for you to know because it's not a, a pastor thing and a lay person. This is Christians, right? We should know the word. This is called an inclusio. What an inclusio is, it's like a, it's like a psalm sandwich is really what it is. The psalmist, and you, now, now that you know what to watch for, you will see this often in a psalm. The first one or two verses say something. And that's the, that's the, the bottom part of the bread, right? Then in the middle, you have all this good stuff that proves the point. And at the end, you have a repetition of what was said in the beginning to close off the sandwich. So here's the point. Here's why it's awesome. And then we're going to remind you of what the main point was. And now you have this. So it's an inclusio. So what is 
really, okay, and I want you to think about this, it's, it's also in the title of the point, if we're looking at this, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, what do we think the point of this psalm would probably be? Yes, the excellence of God's name. Thank you. Points for Officer Jerry over there. <laughs> yes, it's the excellence of God's name. And so really, um, and I change it to the, to the word wonder, because uh, it's the same idea, right? We're looking at the wonder, the excellence of God's name. And the first thing about God's name then that we notice is that it is majestic. It is majestic. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. This word, this word excellent, it gives the idea of noble, mighty, goodly, right? There's a good old English word, goodly, excellent, or majestic. So, we need to understand then, when we're looking at the wonder of God's name, let's break down our thought process for a minute. What do we think of when we think of wonder? I think of beautiful, I mean, I think of flying over the islands and seeing these crystal clear water with, I mean, coral all around and these emerald little dots in the water. And I'm in awe and wonder of God's creation. And then I think of, you know, pictures that I've seen of Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan and just like these craggy mountain peaks, right? And the wonder that that brings to me. And I'm sure that you've either been there or you've seen pictures that would bring you to a place of jaw-dropping amazement. That's the idea that's being conveyed when we talk about the excellency, the majesty, the grandeur of God's name. And we are so churched, we're used to it, right? Even now, if you read, I do, you know, I have, I have to study a lot for uh, lessons and things, and every now and then I'll be looking up like a Jewish idea, and I'll come to a modern Jewish website. And even today, they spell the word God, G-D, because they will not spell the entire name out, out of reverence. They're so in awe of the name of God. Now, God's name... Moses asks this, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? So we need to step back, and you know, it's so easy to focus on the chaos around us. It really is. Because it's right there. It's point blank. Man, it's when, you, when you're looking at a bug on your sma you know, smashed on your windshield, and then behind you, you've got the Grand Tetons. That's the majesty of God, and this is the chaos in front of us. And so, God's name is majestic. It's also high. Yes? If you get up early like me to take care of the chickens, and I walk outside and it's so dark, then it starts to get light, then you mm. Yes, sir. And then it will get louder and louder. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, and the light, you know, when you think about that, you know, now they, it's incredible. You just sit there and you just... Yes, yep. 
All creation sings His praises. Yeah. Creation knows things that we should know too, right? <laughs> That's a great point. It's a great point, Brother Mike. Thank you. I mean, now, I will say, the stupid roosters and chook will, will crow at like 2 in the morning, 11 at night, 6.30 in the morning, 4 in the afternoon. They don't care. And then they just sit right outside of your window. Anyway, so they're not so wonderful, but God is. And so it is high, right? The name of God is high. And we see this reflected here. Uh, Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Now think about this, right? I mean, you think of all the glory that we see under the heavens, and yet God is, His name is so high that the glory is set above the heaven. Is it heaven or heavens? I had a kind of a point on that. Yeah, the heavens, right? And so not just the firmament and then the stars, but even above that, God's glory is so incomprehensible. It is so high. And this is the view that we need to come back to when we think about God versus chaos. Bugs on the windshield versus the Grand Teton Mountains. This is where we need to come to. Chaos is real. Chaos is painful. Chaos is touched you and me in every way possible. It has hurt us. It has discouraged us. It has brought us down. We have been in the chaos. But we have to remember that God's name is so high. It's above all of these things. It's untouchable. Now, which really makes it amazing when you think that God became man and allowed himself to be touched by it. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above. Every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. So we see the wonder of God's name. And this point is here because we need to get back to how big God is. Sure, eggs are expensive and one day in the future, in the last days, or whenever that might happen, you know, things are going to be bad, but God didn't shrink. And we need to keep that in mind. And so therefore, then we have the wonder of God's glory. Again, we mentioned it, but His glory is above the heavens. We also see it then in the work of the heavens. So let's continue, right? We're going to skip verse 2 for now. And then we're going to come back to it. So verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? Thou art mindful of him, and the son of man thou visitest him. And then he goes on and he, he talks about the creation that God made. So the wonder of God's glory, it is not just above, right, so that we can't see it, but His glory is in the heavens. Last Wednesday, you know, I don't, I don't see this a whole lot here. I'm, I'm sure part of it is because I'm not looking, but we see it in Chuk often. But last Wednesday, I stepped out of my parents' trailer at dusk, and it was uh, Venus, Saturn, Mars. Boom, boom, boom. Absolutely amazing. 
in truth, we get to see that. We'll watch. Have we seen four in a row? I want to say we've seen four in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Milky Way. Fantastic. God's glory is in the work of the heavens. I'm grateful that I don't have to somehow think that, oh, I, I wonder where that came from. Like, no, God, God spoke galaxies into existence so that his glory could be declared. Then it's in the creatures of the earth. Right? We look uh, later on, right? All sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, right? That's everything that God has made, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. All of these things are declaring the glory of God. I love, you know, some of my, I like to think about these things. You look back at Psalm 104, 26. You don't have to go there for sake of time. But man, start talking about that Leviathan, right? Leviathan, he was a creepy dude. And then in Job, he talks about even more about Leviathan. And he says, man, he's, you know, he's just, he's strong. There's nowhere you can penetrate in him. He breathes fire. Smoke comes out of his nostrils. And he was a scary guy. In fact, hey, fun side note, the word that we use for the great fish for Jonah and the whale and things, that word actually has a connotation of sea monster behind it. And there's some cool legends behind it. So could have been a whale, could have been a Leviathan. Could have been something else creepy that we don't know. Anyway, come to Chuk and we'll go swimming. All right. No, but even in the creatures of the earth, you've got Leviathan, right? Leviathan. And you think, man, this guy, he was the terror of the sea. And God says, ah, he's like a pet. And then you look over at Behemoth over in Job 40 verse 15 and then he was tail as, as big as a cedar tree and, you know, bones of sinew and sinew as iron and so you've got this big dinosaur, and God looks at him and goes, He declares my glory too. These untamable things, right? I, one of my closest friends is, or uh, one of my close friends is a, a missionary in the Solomon Islands, and we were talking the other day, and he said something about, yeah, you know, we go to the, what do they do? Mondays to their family day. They go to the, the beach, he said, but we don't really get in the water a lot. I said, why not? He said, well, it's brown, uh, and he said, and there's salt crocs. I said, well, yep, I'm out, so I don't do crocs. And so, um, and yet, the creatures of the earth declare the glory of God. It's amazing to me. Not only do the heavens declare it, not only do the creatures declare it, but we see his glory in all the earth. We see this, thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. And then it says, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. You ever watched a current? God made that. I don't know if one day he just kind of swished the water and then like, boom, there was a current. I don't know. But God made that and it declares his glory. And the grass that we step on and then it springs back up and continues to grow and is green and these little men, I, I, I walk through the woods on Wednesday afternoons and these wild daffodils are just popping up all over the place in the woods. And, you know, they're even more beautiful than Solomon and all of his fancy array because they declare God's glory. We don't serve an impotent God. 
We serve a God that every inch of this creation screams His glory. We have to come back to that mindset over and over and over when everything else seems so big. Look at a flower. Look at a weird little guinea pig. I mean, do like just look around you. Look past the bug on the windshield and see God. Then we see that His glory is also, oops, that's in all the earth, sorry. His glory is also reflected in His ordering, right? And we see this, uh, verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and we see the order of creation, right? Creation, is, and we've already talked about this, so we're not going to go back to it. Creation is very ordered. We see the order of hierarchy. We have God. Then we have angels, right? Because he's made us a little lower than the angels. We have men, creatures, and land. We have all of these things laid out for us. And even in God's hierarchy, there's order and beauty that reflects his glory, the wonder of his glory. And we have the, the wonder, the, glory, the order of dominion that brings glory to God. God said, go out and have dominion. Why? Because I have made you in my image. That's what I do. I create. And I bring order to things. So you go out and you create. And you bring order to things. Think about what it takes to bring dominion. Adam, one day he's looking at the grapes. Here's man. It's a lot of grapes right there. I need some sort of contraption. I don't wear clothes, so I can't, you know, I can't put them in here. I need some sort of contraption that will help me carry more than this many grapes. Hmm, and he begins to weave, and all of a sudden there's a basket. He created, he brought dominion. And then one day he's looking up at the bread fruit, and he goes, man, sucker is really high, and I know if it drops, it just explodes all over the place, so how can I do that? Ah! I'll make a stick with a twisty thing that brings it down nicely. That's the order of dominion, and it all brings glory to God. Every time we create, every time we do something, it reflects God's image. Then we have the wonder of God's praise. I like this. This, is, this was neat. This took me a while to kind of figure out but I'm not the smartest preacher in the world neither, so maybe you all already knew it. But when I look at verse 2, it's always kind of a weird one for me. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Well, first of all, the praise of the weak establishes his strength. Here's really where we begin to see something unique about our God. His name is majestic and high. His glory, the wonder of His glory, is seen throughout creation. It's seen above the heavens. It's seen in His order of all things. But then all of a sudden, we realize that God likes to do things a little bit backwards than we would think. The praise of the weak establishes his strength. So what's going on here? Psalm, oh let me let me get this here. Yeah. The book of Psalms is divided into multiple little books. 
believe it's about five. And so within those little books, you have kind of like little couplets of psalms that often go together. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they go together and they introduce the entirety of the, the hymnal. So this is what this whole thing is all about. So then you go into Psalm 3 through Psalm 14. And when you read Psalms 3 through 14, they make up a small part of the book of Psalms. And this Psalm, Psalm 8, is directly in the middle. Now, I'm not getting into like weird numerology. I'm just saying this is the, the way that the Holy Spirit organized the Bible, the way that the editors organized it was very purposeful. So you have... Uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Remember when I do that? I have it. I promise. It's in the middle. I'm just not thinking right right now. Maybe I wrote down the wrong thing. I apologize. But Psalm 3 through 7, they focus on the weakness and the inability of David before the seeming might and power of Saul. So when you read Psalms 3 through 7, David is just utterly despaired. Saul is powerful. I am weak. Help me. There's nothing I can do. I am a dead man. This is terrible. He talks about widows and orphans and all of these bad things. And then you have Psalms 9 through 14. It focuses on God helping the fatherless, the widow, the poor, and the afflicted. So something happens where in the middle chapter, right, in Psalm 8, something happens in David's brain. Everything is bad. Everything's terrible. Saul is powerful. Wicked men. Ah! And then we focus on the glory of God. And then after that, oh man, God will help the afflicted and the widow and the destitute and the poor. God's mercy is upon them and he uses them to bring glory to himself. And so, really when we look at this, right, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength. This word ordained it's the idea of established. So, it's a weird phrase, but as you look later on, when Christ is walking into, excuse me, he's riding into Jerusalem. He's on a donkey and children are singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then you have the Pharisees and they're over there going, <laughs> and Christ asks them, he says, do you not know it's out of the mouths of babes and sucklings that he's ordained praise. And so here what we have is a complete reversal of order. We would think that the strong would be the one to bring glory to God, when in reality it is the weak. Now this is a principle we see throughout Scripture, but chaos so often wants you to think the opposite because chaos is often the strong that is bringing chaos, preying upon the weak or the vulnerable or the meek or the quiet. And so God begins to take the praise, right, the, the praise of these little ones, the praise of the weak, and this establishes his strength. It ordains it. It shows it. It, it makes known God's strength because when the weak can praise him for protection, then you know he has done something good. And then we also see the praise of the weak casts down enemies. What are we talking about here? How often was David weak in the eyes of Saul? 
often. And yet David never lifted a finger other than when he very briefly cut the garment from Saul, and you know the stories, right? But he never lifted a finger to hurt Saul, and yet he continued to praise his God, and God cast down the enemy. In the midst of chaos, it is easy, very easy, to say, well, if we could just bolster ourselves up and do, 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 when in reality God says, when you're weak, praise me and watch me work. Watch me fix it all. Watch me work it out. Now, that doesn't mean that God wants us to be weak in that manner, right? God's not looking for weak men. He's looking for men of backbone, men of character. But the principle that we need to take away from this is that we're not going to defeat chaos on our own. It is bigger than we are. And so, in comparison, as we are weak, we praise God for His deliverance that He will give us, and we watch Him work. And so we see that how the seemingly natural order of things, the fact that the strong often rule the weak, is reversed in God's order. It is the weak that establish God's strength. It is the weak that cause God to stoop down and to fix the problems. And so then we see the wonder of God's thoughts. He remembers us more than the moon. When I consider thy heavens and the works of thy fingers, the moon and stars which thou hast ordained. He remembers us more than the moon. He cares for us more than the stars. Psalm 40 verse 5, Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us word. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not an evil, to give you an expected end. So we, we have here what we're establishing then. We're getting ready to hit the crux. In the last, we got 15 minutes. Now we're going to pick up speed. But in all of this, what I have wanted us to see is the bigness of God. To, to not forget how big He is, how glorious He is, how wonderful He is, how majestic and holy and far above, and how much more powerful He is than this puny chaos that's happening over here. Because then we look at the wonder of God's plan. God gets to making the last elephant uh, let's put it even something like, I mean, uglifin, uh, uglifins. <laughs> elephants are not ugly. They're pretty cool. I mean, let's say like, okay, God made the last naked mole rat. And he's like, hey, everything's pretty good. He's like, you know what I really need? I need a dirt creature. I need a mud ball that I'm going to bring to life, breathe my breath into, and I'm going to let him rule over the naked mole rats and the elephants and the platypuses and everything else. And so God forms a mud ball out of the clay, out of the dirt of the ground. And then he takes this mud ball and he breathes into it the breath of life and dirt became a living soul. 
That's pretty amazing to me. You know what's amazing is, you know, you read Greek mythology and you have Prometheus and Zeus. And Zeus says, I want some playthings. I'm very bored. I rule the I rule all the cosmos and oh, I'm just I'm just bored, bored, bored and I need something fun to watch. And so Prometheus, the ultimate sculptor, goes down and he fashions all kinds of different he blue people and red people and brown and this and this. And so when they go down there, right, the gods are very big and they, they shrink themselves down to look at these clay creations and one of them I forget how the story goes, but they stumbled over the blue and the red people and that's why we don't have them and and really, ultimately, Zeus says, all right, well, they're pretty good, you know, let's make them alive, and then uh, they can just serve us, and we'll let them kind of, like, fight each other and stuff, and uh, that'll be fun to watch. Whatever you do, don't give them fire, and then later Prometheus gives them fire, and they overthrow the gods. God stooped down, and he said, I want fellowship. I want someone that will rule in my name. And then he did it. And so we, we see the wonder of God's plan. He has crowned us with glory and honor. I think a million years from now, I will still be wondering how God could take a dirt creature like me and crowned me with glory and honor, but he did. And here's, here's the point that I want you to, to get out of this. I hear it said a lot, and I don't know if it, like being said here, I'm not thinking of an instance, I'm just saying I hear a lot. Well, I'm just nothing but a good-for-nothing sinner saved by grace. And that's, the sentiment is true, but it's not true anymore. God elevated you. God made you worthy in his sight. Not because of us, by grace alone. But God said, I'm crowning you with glory and honor. I'm making you a prince and a king, uh, an heir with Jesus Christ. You are now not just a sinner saved by grace, but you're my son and my child. The wonder of God's plan is amazing to me. Now, Point B. Here we go. This is where it all began, right? Oh, sorry, by the way, weightiness and glory is what that, what that, those words, uh, glory and honor mean, right? A weightiness, an importance, a worth is really what this is getting at. He crowned us with worth, with weightiness and honor. Now, he has given us dominion over all things. This this is, I think maybe I mentioned it before, but really this is where all of this started for me. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. When we go back to Genesis chapter 2, and we're not going to do that now, but we've gone through it for quite a few weeks now. God gives the dominion mandate. And he gives this word, Radah. And what he's saying in Genesis, right? He's giving this, he says, I'm going to give you Rada. I'm going to give you a transferred authority, right? My authority becomes your authority, but you're acting on my behalf, right? But here, this is reflecting, is it not, the Genesis account. What do we have? We have 
sun, moon, stars. We have the heavens. We have all the earth, what passes through the paths of the sea. We have land. We have creatures. We have the creation story being retold here in a poetic fashion, magnifying the glory of God and reminding us of our place in his plan. And he, the psalmist, David, uses a sister word by ins inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't use the word radah here. He uses the word mashal. And this word he means to bring order, to control the chaos. Christ created us to control the chaos. This is really important to grasp. We've talked about it over and over and over, but here we explicitly see it. We have a purpose, and it is to now control chaos. But here's the issue, right? We read this. Let's go back and read it. Verse 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? You've made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. you made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. You have put all things under his feet. Hmm. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Now, I have a question for you. Have we lived up to this full potential? Does every man and every woman walk around with glory and honor? And have we brought all things under our feet? And have we brought dominion and order to chaos? And the answer is an obvious, resounding no. So we're left looking at this psalm, kind of scratching our head going, that would be really nice. Like, I would really like to have dominion of just like my garden, you know, let alone everything else. Ha my life is chaotic with, you know, children and grocery trips and business and work and school and all of these things. Ah, I would be happy if I could just like, you know, wake up on time. Other than you, Brother Sam, I'm sure you do exactly every morning. I know. So, And so... We're left scratching our head, and we have to come to the conclusion that mankind has failed in this glory and in this task. It's not a fun conclusion, but we have to come to it. So, here's the thing. We've talked about this before, and so we're going to hit it real quick again. Sorry, I'm back on the Hebrew words. It's supposed to be an emphatic letter C, and then I missed it. Okay. Mankind has failed in this glory and task. So I want to make this special note then, before we get to the last point. We remember that God always redeems. He never completely abolishes. Here's what I mean, right? Remember, Cain and Abel. Abel was dead. God could have just wiped out Cain. He could have wiped out everything. Could have wiped out Adam and Eve. But instead he said, let me redeem let me fix this and bring more glory. We have the antediluvian time, right? 
things were so bad that the thoughts of man were only evil continually. God could have wiped out absolutely everybody, started everything all over again, but instead he spared part of sinful humanity so that he could redeem it. God does not throw away his creation. God doesn't say, nah, that was a bust, let me try again. He takes it and he says, I'm going to help you a little bit more this time. I'm going to do this. Mount Sinai. God was ready to burn up those people and start over with Moses, but still not kill everybody. Still leave Moses. Moses said, no, please don't. God redeemed. And then we see in the future, right? We talked about this before. 2 Peter 3 talked about how, well, why even try to do anything, right, if uh, everything's going to burn up one day. But we learned that burning has to do with more of a, 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 a fire that consumes off the dross, right? And it renews. We're going to be living in a new creation, but more of a renewed creation. So here's our final point, and this is really from here on out. We're going to be hitting some things, uh, not tonight, but in the last lessons. We see the wonder of Jesus' fulfillment. Now these are important, and we are down to the last couple minutes. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. We are left scratching our heads, going, man, alive. We have failed. What's going to happen? And along comes the Son of Man. In Hebrews 2, 5 through 10, for unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak, but one in a certain place, that place is Psalm 8, in case you didn't guess that, testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? You made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned him with glory and honor, and you did set him over the works of thy hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. For that he has put all in, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. There's the problem. Not everything is put under man. Not everything is where it should be. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became, it made him beautiful, right? It became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Christ was made lower than the angels for us. We failed and so rather than scrapping it, Christ stooped. He came into the chaos that he was above, that he, that he created all things beautifully and in order, and chaos came in and began to muddle with everything, and Christ stooped down into the chaos because not everything, not everything was yet under the feet of man, not everything was yet as it ought to be. So then what do we see happening now? 1 Corinthians 
15. Verses 20 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 28. I know it's a longer passage, but it's important. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, and all authority, and all power. For he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. That's Psalm 110. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For, here we go, he, God, hath put all things under his, Christ's, feet. That's present. That is right now. That is, things are being brought under the control of Christ. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.